0: Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Well, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Beginning at verse 16, that's where we're going to go today. Last week, we started this new series, and if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go online and watch last week's teaching. Talked about the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. We talked about the Mark's gospel being the quickest gospel, uh, full of action, and Mark, who was not a disciple of Jesus as far as walking with Jesus, but he heard through Peter All of these stories, and Mark's gospel was the first that was written. Mark wrote his gospel right after the death, the beheading of uh, Peter. And so you can find a lot of action in this. So last week we saw about the temptation of Jesus, and then Jesus came preaching, and today we see Jesus comes, verse 16, walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were what? fisherman. Then Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they went after him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. For a great morning for lives that were touched, changed, healed, set free, delivered. In the house and online, we just give you all the glory. And Father, as we're taking this year to rediscover Jesus, know you more than we've ever known, studying the Gospels, looking. So I pray today you would uh, allow the gifts of the Spirit to flow through me as I speak. Allow the gifts of the Spirit to flow through us as we hear, as we try to understand, to grasp maybe to a different level of what you're saying to us. Father, I pray today, Holy Spirit, I need your anointing. Without you, I can do nothing. I confess my total dependence upon you today in the name of Jesus. So when we read this story, sometimes I think we read the Bible with sort of like it was back then, like it's not applying to us now. But I would like to read the Bible to think about that. What would that be like now? So just imagine this. Imagine tomorrow at your job or your school or your home, Jesus would come to where you are, and he would say, "Follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men." How would you respond? Or we could just say, "What if a man came that you didn't—that wasn't Jesus—and said to you something like this? I mean, would you call the cops? Uh, would you ignore him? Would you hope that he would go away before he scare away the other customers in your in your shop?" You see, Mark is not interested in us reading the story of Simon, Andrew, James, and John and saying, wow, weren't they so lucky? Jesus showed up where they were. Wow. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to see your life, a personal example in the life of these four men. I want you to apply that to your life where you are today, because their call is our call. So I want to uncover this scene today, and I want to answer some questions like, who were these men? What was the invitation? What are the benefits of following Jesus? So let's look, first of all, question. Look, if in this series you're looking for something deep and beyond anything you've ever studied, uh, you probably won't. You say, well, I've heard that before, but I think you can hear it a different way. And that's all I'm praying about, is that if we know Jesus, we rediscover him. And if we don't, that we take time to discover him, all right? So who were these men? Well, remember, Mark is telling from Peter's perspective, and Peter gives details that only a good fisherman could remember. One day, Peter and Andrew, James, and John were on their usual work as an ordinary fisherman, and Jesus came to the shore of Galilee And he called them to follow him, and he promised them that he would make them fishers of men. I don't believe they got up that morning thinking, wow, I have an appointment with Jesus today. I don't believe they did that. You see, sometimes we're always thinking Jesus only works in the spectacular. You know, if I'm going to have an appointment with Jesus today, it's going to be lightning, and and it's going to be thunder, and I'm going to hear angel voices, and it's going to be spectacular because I'll have an encounter with Jesus in the extraordinary. But I find that Jesus shows up when people show up on time for work. I believe Jesus shows up where people actually show up to work, not waiting for a handout if they can work. All right? Yeah. Is that all right in this, in this uh, today? I, I believe Jesus shows up when people are occupied in their day-to-day life. So you know what that means? That means that Jesus is showing up today through this teaching in your life and my life. Today, he's showing up for you. It's not an accident that you're here today. It's not an accident that we're talking about this. But he wants you to know that he has a purpose and a destiny. He has something for your life beyond anything you could ever imagine. So this is not the first contact that they had with Jesus. These four guys were had been baptized by John the Baptist. So they were there when John pointed his finger and said of Jesus, there's a lamb who takes away the sin of the world. So they knew who he was. But now Jesus comes into their life to enlist them in this new revolution that he's going to bring. So Jesus made the contact. The scripture said he came where they were, and he saw. Up to that time, if you were a rabbi, you would set up a shingle somewhere, rabbi, schultzy, schultzy, and uh, if people wanted to know, they came seeking you out. But Jesus didn't wait for us to come seeking him. He left heaven, all the splendor of heaven, and he came to this earth, and he lived a sinless life, And he pursued us, and he's pursuing you this morning. How many of you are so glad that he came and found you where you were? Amen? And he comes here today. And he comes to you that are online. Look at this. He saw them, first of all, he saw them where they were. Who were these men? Well, he saw them, and he saw them where they were. Where where were they? Well, they were casting nets they were mending nets the Lord sees them in their daily routine I mean they didn't wake up that morning and saying I'm disgruntled I don't like my life I don't know how my life is I just want to get rid of this no they just got up and they went to work he saw them where they were and guess what he sees you where you are today he doesn't see you where you used to be See, some of us carry guilt because we think, well, you know, used to be I was closer to Jesus, or used to be I used my gifts for him, or used to be my life counted. He doesn't see you there. He sees you where you are now, and he doesn't see you where you wish you would be. You know, I just wish I could get over this addiction. I wish I could get over this problem. I wish I could get over this. No, he sees you where you are now, but not only that, he saw them. For what they were. For what they were. He says he saw them and Mark says they were fishermen. Now when you read fishermen sometimes uh, people think that fishermen were just ignorant people but these guys in the first century fishing was a thriving industry on the Sea of Galilee. It was a thriving industry on the Sea of Galilee. In fact Around the Sea of Galilee, and if you go with us in a couple of years when we go back to the Holy Land, you'll find that at this particular time, there were 16 fishing ports all around the lake. These guys weren't paupers. These guys were middle class people in their society. They weren't fishing to just get some fish for lunch, but they were fishing because that was their career. That was how they made money where they were but they saw them for what they were. They were fishermen. They were ordinary people, but they were busy. I find that Jesus often uses people that are busy more than he uses people that are just lazy. So maybe if you've been lazy, maybe you need to just uh, get busy doing something, all right? Even, Even if it's something, all right? He sees them for what they were. He sees you for what you are. Not what you wish you were. Some people say, oh, I wish I was a pastor. I wish I, you know, could get up there and make all those mistakes that Terry does and still get paid for it. I wish I could. Or, you know what? I wish I was the president. I wish you could have that job. Well, let's just pray. I wish I was, you know, I wish I was Tom Brady going to play this afternoon and win again. You know, I wish I wish I was I wish I was the Steeler quarterback. What's his name? Yeah, the old guy like me. Roethlisberger. You know, I wish he could just win. I wish I could do that. No. I wish, no. He sees you for what you are. Good, Teacher, doctor, yeah. retired, counselor, student, yeah. businessman, businesswoman, yeah. husband, wife. Yeah. Boy, aren't you glad he meets you where you are. He sees you for what you are. Because you see, uh, he made you. And he gave you the talents and the gifts that you have. And he's brought you to this place. He sees you for what you are. But he not only saw them for where they were, he saw them for what they were. But I love this one. He saw them for what they would become or what they could become. He saw them for what they could become. He saw beyond their labels. Well, they're fishermen, but yet they're different. They're doing something different. Peter and Andrew, what are they doing? Not a trick question. What are Peter and Andrew doing? Casting their net, right? They're <laughs> casting their net that out there. If you go with us, you'll see in, in the Holy Land how they still do some of that today. A round circular net. They cast it out and let it sink down, and then they pull the rope in, and see how much fish. If it's not working on that side, they cast the net over on this side. It takes tenacity, it, it takes a, a willingness, it takes down and dirty, being able to do that on that. So he saw them as they were fishermen. Now, it's interesting that if you fast forward, you'll find that that's exactly what, how God used them in a great way. Peter was an evangelist. The same gifts God is saying, when, when he sees us, he's saying, I'm going to take who you are, where you are, and what you are, and with my anointing on your life, I'm going to take all of those ordinary characteristics, and I'm going to use them in my kingdom to change people's lives. So what do we find Peter doing? We find him on the day of Pentecost standing up. And what is he doing? He's preaching as an evangelist. And 3,000 people are brought to the Lord on that day. You don't see Peter in management. He's not in management in the church. He stirs up more conflict than he does. But I'll tell you what he does do. He's always pushing for people to make a decision. Andrew, what is Andrew? Andrew's like a personal witness. He's always, he brings his brother. He brings others all the way through. Not standing up and preaching like Peter, but he's always out there. He's a bringer. He's going, come and see, come and see. He's a bringer, just like we should be. You know, some of you have the ability to speak, but some, we all can be a bringer. Come and see, come and see. Come and see what the Lord is doing. Come and see what he wants to do in your life. So that's what they were doing. They were involved in reaching souls and bringing them but we see James and John and they weren't casting their nets what were they doing they were mending their nets they were mending they were making sure that those holes were fixed up so that when they cast the nets they could catch the fish they were cleaning them washing them drying them out getting them ready preparing for the next day of the harvest It's interesting, that word they were mending their nets is the Greek word katartizo. It means to mend what was broken, to fit out, to put in order. It's the idea of, listen to this, the idea of equipping something or preparing it for a future use. It's the very same word that Paul used in Ephesians 4 when he talked about The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Look at this verse. He himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the what? For the what? For the equipping of the saints. It's the same word. For the preparation of the saints. For the mending, for the preparing, for the equipping. So, for what purpose? So that... The saints can do the work of ministry, edifying the body of Christ. So he said, James and John weren't casting their nets as evangelists, but they were mending the nets, preparing the nets. So what you'll find is, if you fast forward, you'll find James is the administrative leader in the church in Jerusalem. They brought things to James, and James says, hmm, I think here's what we should do in that. Notice he didn't trust Peter with that, but it was James. And then we see also John. We don't see him as a great evangelist in the the New Testament history. We find him with a long pastorate at the church at Ephesus. Jesus said to the fisherman, I see your tenacity for fishing. I see your skills for fishing. And you can apply that to a higher vocation in following me. Jesus says to you, sitting here this morning, and those of you that are online, I see you where you are, I see you for who you are, but I see you for what you can become. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you something of greatness, not in this world. I mean, we get used to, well, yeah, you know, I'm going to be great, I'm going to have thousands of followers. No. our Our greatness... It's simply that we can remind people of the kingdom, but the greatness is we're planning for the next life of where we're going to spend eternity, 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 eternity. Some of us need to wake up. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. I was reading this week of those that will spend eternity separated from God where the maggots never cease. I mean, we think about the fire. but Have you ever seen what maggots do? It's a place of separation, a place of darkness. Yeah, I'm just going to go to hell with my friends and raise some more hell. We just drink together and have a party. No, you'll live in isolation, separated from God, but not even the comfort of being able to know that there are others around you that are suffering the same way compared to spending eternity in the new heaven, the new earth, celebrating Not floating on a cloud, not playing a harp, but living out the purpose and the destiny that we were made for. If you're a teacher, I don't know what it's going to be like, you're going to be teaching. If you're a builder, you're going to be building. If you're a musician, just think about that set, Matt. Think about that, playing with David. See, David heard sounds in his mind and created instruments for those sounds. Can you imagine what he's been doing now for all of eternity? Can you imagine, Smitty, the sounds that he's heard and the new instruments that he's already created and how they, how that will flow from some of you that have the heart of always serving? You're going to be able to serve somewhere, but it's going to be totally different because Jesus came not to, to be served, but to serve. And you're going to serve in a new light that you've ever served before. Those of you that have business skills, I'm not sure how it's going to work. I mean, there's so many different things that we don't know and all eternity but don't ever think we're just going to sit around twiddle our thumbs and saying kumbaya for the rest of our life he, he created the earth and he created man to accomplish something on the earth and when he comes again it's not coming to this earth he's going to this earth will dissolve there'll be a new heaven and a new earth I can be here one moment Thurman and I can be wherever I want to be the next moment I'm going to tell you when you compare those two eternities there is nothing even to compare with I have plans for you, he says. What do you think that is for you? Dream with me. Dream with me. You know who you are. You know your gifts. You know what you are. And for what? Dream with me. Who you can be. Who you can be for Jesus. Wow. Ah, Eyes not seen is not heard, oh! but we will see it. So the second question is, what was the invitation? What was the invitation? Follow me, he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He says, I want you to use your skills, your abilities for a spiritual end. So whether you're a salesman, a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a businessman, an electrician, a plumber, he's saying, let me, follow me, and let me transform your vocation into a ministry. Let me, trans- let me transform your retirement and all the education and training that you have for a kingdom purpose. Now, the first thing we think about is that we think, oh, yeah, man, if I have a call of God in my life and, yeah, he's used me and, you know, I've been real successful in the business world and, you know, I've been successful in the music industry and I've been successful there. And so, so I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to quit my work and I'm going to open up a Christian coffee shop. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to get a job at the church. Why? Why? If God hasn't called you into that ministry, why would you quit what he's using you for? Thurman, the counselor. You ever thought, Thurman, the hundreds of kids that you've been able to direct their life in the years that you've been a school counselor? Now think about this. What if you'd quit years ago? I'm not going to counsel anymore. I'm going to go work at church. So you sit in your office, you know we at church, we only work one day a week anyway, so you know how that is. <laughs> so somebody told me, I work for a living' so, okay we'll see we'll see how how eternity works that out. Simone owns a um hair salon, and she says. I have all these women come in and men and they pour out their life and I felt like I didn't know how to help them so she takes time and goes to school keeps her job going to get a ministry degree to help people so now what should she do she should quit her salon right quit the salon because salon work at church Doesn't even sound right, does it? See, I think we have it all mixed up. I think it's Salon and the church down here equips businessmen, plumbers, teachers, retired people to be able to reach people and then to get them come to church and strengthen the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Just think about this. Mike and Patty Blackhall. I mean, you had a career going and working uh, uh, with CMA, Motorcycle Association. Thought that God called you. It looked like God opened the door for you to be in ministry in, 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 in Germany and in, in different areas, uh, leading people in, in evangelism. That door closed. But for years now, Patty, you have this unique ability in the business realm where you are with, 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 with furniture. I mean, where do you get that? And then Mike comes along and he makes the money off of what you do. <laughs> but you guys use it for the kingdom. Say, so how'd you find out the father's house? Oh, um, furniture barn. They in- invited me. Some people up there. Yeah. See, F- furniture barn. Why did? It- Why do we think that the Lord wants to pick us up from where we are and move us somewhere else? Because, you see, when you leave here, you're going to rub shoulders with people that would never come to church. Calling is about vision. He says, follow me. He doesn't tell these guys, follow me and I'll make you wealthy. He doesn't say, follow me and I'll make you better. He doesn't say, follow me and you'll live the best life you've ever lived. He doesn't say, follow me and I'll make you more comfortable. There's no part of Jesus' call that indicates that he works for us. Don't confuse. Don't confuse how you follow people on social media with following Jesus. Well, I follow, you know, 16 people. I follow 100 people. I follow 1,000 people. But I don't know them. Not all of them. Some of you have a relationship with Jesus like that. You follow him like social media, but you don't know him. You don't know him. See, when I really know him, my life changes, and people around me, their life changes. There's a haunting verse of scripture in Matthew chapter 7. It just, man, it just haunts me. It's been haunting me now for months. And when I ask the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, this is Jesus, it's in the red. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, in other words, I follow you, Jesus, I like you, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Here's the scary thing. Many, not a few, many will say to me on on that judgment day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. So maybe we should reevaluate whether we are a Christ follower and we know him or not. Have we simply prayed a prayer or raised our hand because we were in problems and difficulty? And somebody promised if I'd raise my hand or if I'd pray that prayer that my eternity would be settled and I would never have a difference in my life. I don't find anywhere in the New Testament that anybody ever made a decision for Jesus and their life didn't change. Your life will change. So let me ask you this. Evaluate your life. Are you a follower or a spectator? Is your relationship with Jesus exclusive or just a casual weekend experience? All week long, you live for yourself. You live for all of that. And then on the weekend, oh, it's time to go to church. On your notes there, you can write it really tiny so nobody can see it. How would you rate your level of commitment right now to Jesus? On a 1 to a 10, team? 10 being, I mean, you're whistling glory, hallelujah. Would you write it down? Would you be honest enough with yourself this morning, honest enough with the Holy Spirit, to say this is my present level of commitment? Doesn't mean you have to keep it there. Well, what is that level? See, a lot of times we want the benefits, but we're not willing to make the total commitment. I read in magazines, a satirical magazine years ago called The Door. It suggested that unmarried couple who live together should have these vows. I, John, take you married to be my cohabitant, to have sex with and share bills with. I'll be around while things are good, but I probably won't when things get tough. If you should get a cold, I'll run to the drugstore. But if you get sick to the point that you can't meet my sexual needs, I'll probably have to move on. Forsaking all others, I will more or less be faithful to you as long as it feels good to me. And if we should break up, it doesn't mean this wasn't special for me. I commit to live with you as long as this works out. I see it all the time. People give their heart to Jesus, it gets a little tough. And the next thing you never see them in church for ages. Then every time I see them, they feel guilty. Oh, yeah, you know, I just had this, that, and and I just, you know, don't give me an excuse. Just that you've let things crowd in. We want the benefits, but we don't want the commitment. You see, when you make a decision to believe in Jesus without a commitment to follow him, you're not a follower, you're a fan. Could I say that again? When you say you believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow him, you are a fan, not a follower. Even the demons believe. Even the demons believe that he is Jesus. So just saying, I believe, is not enough. There should be a change in your life. What do you sacrifice your money for? What do you sacrifice your time for? What really gets you excited some of you get more excited over a sports event, a TV program, or your workout routine at the gym than you do Jesus. You wouldn't miss a, a day of, I mean, you would be a flying fig before you'd miss a workout day. Boy, you got a million excuses why you're not in church today. Bodily exercise profits little, right? At least you can get, tie your shoes over your big belly, you know, that, so it helps with that. But it doesn't change your eternity. beyond comfort see how often we think of Christianity as something you do when it's convenient for you we worship when we want we give when we want we sacrifice when we want we come when we want we help when we want we study when we want in other words we try to take Jesus and make him revolve around our schedules and our families here's a question What have you done this week for eternal significance? Who have you invested in? What have you done this week for eternal significance? What does Jesus mean when he says, follow me? He means, be with me, be with me. How do we do that? We do that through prayer, through fasting, through seeking him, through our daily version plan that we have. We have another one coming up on Wednesday. You can go online and and you can see that. So we want to be with Jesus, and then we want to imitate Jesus. What did Jesus do? WWJD, what did Jesus do? Well, he was baptized. So have you been baptized? Well, so-and-so told me I didn't need to be baptized. Well, then at heaven, when you get to heaven, then you take so-and-so with you and you stand there and Jesus is saying, did you imitate me? Well, no, I didn't because so-and-so said I didn't need to be baptized. If they're there, what did he do? He prayed, he healed, he, he touched people. What are the benefits? First of all, it's significance. When you're a follower of Jesus, you're a fisherman, <laughs> your life has significance. You lead people, you influence people, you encourage people into the kingdom of God, which lasts forever, on eternity. But we get so focused on the now. I mean, we've got a great opportunity for some of you that know a whole lot more about social media than I do. I I know very little, okay? Just enough to be dangerous and enough that, that I shouldn't know, okay? Some of you are really good at that. Well, to help you to follow Jesus and to be able to reach people through social media, we have a workshop coming up, a one-day thing called Social Ministry Training on February the 6th at 12.30 after the second service on the 6th of February. And you can sign up for that by just texting social to 352-329-2301, or you can use your uh, card today when you turn that in. Significance transformation. So what was their response? They immediately left their nets. They didn't say, well, wait till we're done fishing. They didn't say, we'll start tomorrow. Wait till I get my financial order. He said, immediately. Some of you are playing with a scary word called someday. Someday I'll give my heart to the Lord. Someday I'm going to rededicate my life to him. Someday I'm going to follow him like I did when I was younger. That's a a tough place to be in someday. Immediately is a better place, isn't it? I mean, we give all kinds of excuses. There's a website called the Mother of All Excuses. So if you run short of excuses, you can find one there. Here's one. This is a little excuse somebody used. I can't make it today because my wife is scheduled to conceive a baby today. Some of you get that on the way home. I can't make it to work today because my voice, the voice in my head keeps telling me to clean my guns. I have to cancel my speaking engagement tonight because I punctured my eardrum being too aggressive with a Q-tip. Here's a police excuse. Please excuse me from the speeding ticket. My wife ran off with a state policeman, and when I saw your flashing lights, I didn't stop because I thought you might be the trooper, and you were trying to bring her back. I've never felt such an urgency from the Holy Spirit to tell us, wake up. We've been waiting for things to get back to normal. They're not going back to normal. People are so afraid they're going to stay home because they're afraid. Look, you take precautions, you stay healthy. I'm not saying do anything stupid. COVID's not going away. Politicians are not going to let COVID go away. People in the industry are not going to let COVID go away or any of its variants. If it's not this, it's going to be something. Because you know what? The enemy learned that he can take the focus off of people, including Christians, and get it so focused on what's going to happen next, what's going to that we're so we've got the wagons circled, and we're, we're we're worried about well we got to keep that on the outside, keep that we got to circle the wagons, and we're no longer reaching the lost and impacting people, and inviting them. Folks, I'm telling you, we are in the evil day, and the day is coming to an end, and it's time to make a decision of being all in for Jesus. In the early 1900s, there was a 16-year-old boy named William Whitney Borden. He graduated from Chicago High School. He was the heir to the Borden fortune. And uh, he did his Ivy League education at Yale and later at Princeton. But the year before he was to go to Yale, his parents sent him on a trip around the world as a graduation present. But here's the interesting thing about Borden. He had come to Christ through the ministry of D.L. Moody. But while traveling around the world, as he traveled in Asia, the Middle East, Europe, and China, he was hurt and deeply touched by the hurt of the world, thinking somebody needs to bring these people hope. So on his missionary journey, or on his, his graduation journey, he felt like that Jesus had said, follow me to the mission field. But that meant turning your back on millions of dollars. That meant turning your back on your family. So Borden wrote a note to his parents and said, after my Ivy League graduation, I'm going to the mission field. I'm going to the mission field. He came back. He graduated from Yale. Then he went on to Princeton Theological Seminary. When he finished both of those, he boarded a ship for China as a missionary. His heart pounding on the inside to follow Jesus. Due to his passion, not only for the Chinese people, but for the Muslims, he made a stop in Egypt because he wanted to learn the Arabic language. But while he was in Egypt at 25 years old, he contracted spinal meningitis and within a month, he was dead. When the news came back to America, the newspapers all ran it and said, uh, somebody stated in his biography, a wave of sorrow went around the world because he gave up his fortune, fortune because he wanted to be a missionary. How foolish. See, how could God let that be? How could God take the call that somebody had? And he steps out, turns his back on millions of dollars. Oh, but let me tell you the rest of the story. Thousands of young men and young women, when they read the story of Borden's dedication in magazines and newspaper, guess what they did? They signed up for the mission field. Thousands signed up for the mission field because one man never had got to the mission field, but stepped out in faith on the word of Jesus that said, follow me, and I'll make you to become a fisher of men. But not in the way that Borden thought. Follow me, and your obedience will make thousands fishers of men. After he died and all of his belongings were shipped back in his body, they shipped back his Bible. On the inside of the fly leaf of his Bible were three entries of two words. And each of those were dated. On the date that he boarded the boat to go to China he put that date in his Bible and he wrote two words no reserves no reserves his father had got upset with him after he left and said you know what you may want to come back someday but there's no place for you in this boarding job anymore I disown you as far as the Borden being an heir so when that note came that letter he wrote the date And he wrote this, no regret, no regret. The final entry, you say, what was the final entry? Final two words. On the day of his death, knowing that he was dying, that he would never get to China, this was the end of his life, he wrote these two words. The the other was no retreat. I'm sorry, I got those wrong. He said, no retreat going back. But the last words that he wrote was, no regret. I don't regret my life. So in, the, in your notes there, it says the next step for you. What, what would it be that for you this week? How will you live this week out? Could I encourage you to follow Jesus this week with no reserves? What would that look like? Not to hold back anything this week. I mean, give everything you have to following Jesus and reaching out to people and offering them hope. Going for it. What would it look like to live this week following Jesus with no retreats? God didn't choose us to live an easy path, not to start and stop, start and stop, start and stop, but go forward. What would that look like this week? What would it look like when we come back next Sunday That you could simply say no regrets I didn't live cautiously this week that when this week is over I can say no regrets I lived this week in the best and the fullest way I know of following Jesus being with him being with him and being transformed to change people's lives where are you today Are you really a Christ follower or have we somehow dished out a cheap belief that once you say words then for those words you can go live however you want I I don't think so see some people are basking on the fact that when I was a child I said those words but your life hasn't been a follower of Jesus uh, Jesus understands me. No, don't don't change the Bible. He says, I'm sorry, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You didn't follow me. Or maybe today you say, you know what? I've never invited Christ into my heart and my life, but I want to do that today. Or maybe it's just today you say, you know what? I'm getting all in. I'm rededicating, I'm rediscovering Jesus. Would you allow me to pray for you and those of you that are watching online? Father, we come to you right now. And Lord, I'm not giving out words today for people to say. I'm asking in this service at this time as we bow our heads and as we humble our hearts that we could say yes to you. yes to your plan of salvation. You didn't ask me just to raise my hand or to say some words and get get the guilt off. want the benefits but not the commitment. So today, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone unsure of their eternity, that they would make that decision. When you said as many as believe would be saved, That belief brings a lifestyle change. Eternity is going to be a long time. A long time. Right there with your head bowed and your eyes closed. You can talk to the Lord very quietly out, out, out loud or within your spirit. Today, Lord, I'm saying yes to you. Yes. I'm saying yes to you. I'm rededicating my life to you believing that today, Jesus. Forgive me for getting distracted. Forgive me for being so focused on myself and the things I want and the things I don't have. And I've lost track of the people that are around me. They're dying, going to hell. Yes, Lord. I want to be a fisher of men. Change men's eternities in your name. Well, if you got anything out of that today, would you give the Lord a hand clap and say, yeah, amen. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build them.